Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to Slash Her Talks. My name is Adrian. And I'm Stormy. And today we are joined by the amazing, oh, well, before we go, I want to make sure I say your last name correct, because I've been saying it to myself for the last month and a half. <laughs> uh, so how do you say your name? It's a Jordan Gosporé. Yes, it looks like Gasport. I didn't choose it. <laughs> and I am not married yet. Uh, it's my mom's maiden last name and my dad's last name. So Jordan Gosporé. Gasporé. I love that. <laughs> but you know what? Yes. Welcome to the show, Jordan Gasporé. <laughs> you entered yourself. I'm going to keep that in because I love it. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you. Of course, I mean, reporter, CNN audio producer, uh, host of your own horror comedy podcast, Pod of Madness, as well as hosting the like New York based like local podcast called Local Switchboard as well. Um, well, thank you for joining us today on this fine Mother's Day. Well, thanks for having me. And anytime that I can be around other horror fans and talk to horror fans, I am always happy to do so. So yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so I do, of course, as anytime we have anybody on, we do like to get an idea of kind of like your introduction to the genre itself. So when it comes down to horror, I mean, do you have any early memories? Do you know what kind of got you into the genre? So I can't really pinpoint exactly what got me into the genre, but I can say early memories are, I come from a small town in Texas. We had at one point in time a Blockbuster, which is now a twin liquors and dental store that they split the building up into two. <laughs> it was one Blockbuster and there is nothing else to do in my hometown except go to the public library where you could use the internet for free, go to the Blockbuster or go to the movie theater. And so I would go to the Blockbuster quite regularly. And at a really young age, my mom would just say, you know, I'll wait in the car for you. You go in and rent whatever movie you wanted. So I would go in, I'd go in the horror section. I remember renting... The one memory that I remember having an argument with the Blockbuster employee about, I was maybe eight years old and couldn't even see over the counter with this like teenage Blockbuster employee was, I remember renting American Psycho and this was like, came out in like 2000, you know? And I put the movie, you know, over that I wanted to rent it. And he was like, are you sure you want to rent this? <laughs> and I was like, I can read. I read the back and on the cover, he's holding a knife. Like, I know what this movie is about. And he was like, are you sure? Does your, does your, do your parents know? Like they, they can rent this. And I'm like, my mom is right outside. And there were numerous occasions where it's like, they're like, are you sure you want to rent this movie? Are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I do want to rent this movie. I have pretty much seen every horror movie that you have on this blockbuster. I am not going to shoot up a school. It's going to be okay. <laughs> so at least you had a blockbuster in our neck of the woods in Little Old New Mexico. Um, we had two like major rental places. One was called Movie Gallery and the other one was called, um, my God, I don't remember. Like, I think it was just- Hollywood Video. Was there Hollywood Video? There was one yep. up in uh, Clovis, Mexico. Well, and ours, which ironically is a dentist office now. And that's why I laughed <laughs> so hard that you said that. <laughs> and they're awful. Uh, not to like, Terrible. we're not going to say their name, but I've been there to that dental, uh, that dental mm -hmm. office that took over Hollywood video. And yeah, they're awful. Aggressive, so rude. They were so nasty when we went. <laughs> so, you know. It's just random. And I was like, you could go buy some booze and then go get your teeth cleaned, I guess, at the same time now in the Blockbuster. But there's nowhere to rent movies anymore in my hometown. They closed the Blockbuster down. They closed the Hastings down. Um, the movie theater now um, is still there. But from what I hear, it's kind of turned into like a Alamo draft housey. They got a bar trying to class up the joint but there's nowhere to rent movies anymore which is really sad it really is um here in vegas we there's a lot of like local little like 
places like locally owned places and you can still go in there and like you can sometimes like rent movies um but they still it's typically obviously like a buy and trade kind of thing more often than not when it comes to physical media um but yeah i miss it i really do miss it but you know shout out to all the employees who worked in video stores who when you were younger and you would go in there and you would rent movies on your own i remember uh the individual who oh my god stormy uh, small town stuff like i'm sure we probably know her um, her name was i don't want to know if i should say her name um, <laughs> she's her name listening was, <laughs> um her name was nikoshi and she was uh my she her son dated my cousin for the longest time small town stuff but i would go in there and if i wanted to like get a horror movie or something like she wouldn't care like she knew my family I'd be like oh yeah you know my my mom my dad they're in the car like they don't care even if I just walked down there by myself she would just be like oh yeah whatever and would just let me watch anything I wanted so you know shout out to them who were letting us at <laughs> a young age just become poisoned <laughs> with the bowels of horror from an early age because it was happening constantly I really had one that was almost exactly like Randy from Scream because he would, I would give him the movie and my mom was probably off like wrestling with my brother somewhere. And he would literally be want to give me like all the details on this movie. And I'm like, can I watch it please, sir? Can we not have this conversation? And then he would ask me, he remembered me because of my name is he would always make a joke about it. And he would be like, try and ask me how I felt about the previous week's movie. <laughs> so we really bonded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Jordan. Well, when it comes down to your horror podcast, I mean, what kind of was like your inspiration there? Like what led you to want to look into doing that? Yeah. I mean, initially what led me to want to do that is that I just realized there aren't that many I mean, one, obviously we know that there's not that many women who are behind the scenes in horror, writing horror, directing horror, um, surviving in horror. Um, and in the podcasting space, there's even fewer, I feel like, people who are talking about horror who are women. So I wanted to, to do something initially from that, is being able to have more women's voices in the space and to be able to talk about about this because even you know growing up small town and even beyond and even with my coworkers now in in New York as a woman talking about horror it's still very different experience and going to horror conventions or going to horror things even like last time going to the movie theater to see a horror movie looking around and realizing there weren't that many women in the space. So that really was what led me to want to do this. Um, and also just taking a different perspective in a lot of the movies that I like and a lot of the directors and writers that I like aren't necessarily uh, everybody's crowd favorites and maybe be might be more a little along the lines on, uh, on the fringes. Um, so wanting to get those voices in there as well. Oh, I love that. And, uh, the, it's crazy that like the first movie that you even have like recollection of, I suppose, as well, was, was directed by a woman, Mary Heron, American Psycho. So, I mean, it's just full circle for you. I love that. And yes, it's true. Like, especially in the horror space. I mean, a lot of the uh, big horror podcasts are typically, you know, like straight male dominated typically. So yeah, we definitely need to get some more voices out there. That's what we try to do with our podcast as well. Um, so thank you, of course, you know, for reaching out to us, obviously just trying to make it more progressive, you know, focus on, you know, women, uh, queer individuals, P POC individuals, and try to open up that space within the community. Because I mean, although it feels very inclusive, it also does feel very male dominated still. It really does. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, in the podcasting space, at least, who is the... I guess the named shows or who is actually making money off of their shows that it was a little 
I wouldn't say depressing, but upsetting to see some of the the voices and you, you start looking into who's even like producing and editing their shows and thinking it is is all the same same stuff that's oh, that's <laughs> great guys i'm really glad too that y'all are you know you're you're now the voice on all of these different horror topics that's fantastic yes. <laughs> listen i won't name any shows but i have one in mind that i'm trying to like psychically yes uh, <laughs> pass on yes, but... you know we're, we're, i feel it i can feel it don't worry about it we're on the same page um but i love your podcast of course i mean i caught up thus far and it's amazing it's pretty dead right now i'm trying to reanimate it um with work and everything too uh so you know trying to ho- horror theme reanimator like reanimate the podcast it's, podcasting is so hard like we just hit a year what was it like two days ago i believe as of recording and like obviously me being a pisces just like broke down in tears and i was like it is honestly like so it's not easy running a podcast. It really isn't. And, you know, we and me and Stormy are a one person team. Like we don't have contributors. Like we we're doing the production, we're doing the editing, we're doing everything, uh, the posting, the social media management, and it's not easy at all. And I just, you know, shout out to anybody who can make it work. So obviously don't feel bad at all. Cause honestly, what you've done thus, thus far has been amazing. And I definitely want to, uh, <laughs> I want to, if, you know, if you start like a GoFundMe for your Deborah Hill documentary that you're wanting to do. Oh, we, are, we are so, cl- like, I had a great, com- so uh, Deborah Hill's best friend, and uh, they used to have a production company together. I actually had a call with her and talked through, like, the wheels are turning on, on this. So Fantastic. <laughs> this is a matter of, like, now just trying to figure out logistics and then, how can we get some kind of money, yes, to like be able to fly to LA to go interview this person? So Woo! slowly. We're here. As soon as the GoFundMe hits, we're in it. It would be fantastic. I would honestly, yes. I mean, she deserves it. I don't, is there like even like a major documentary on her at all? There was one that uh, started, I think, in 2015, 2017 by two women that were producers, and they actually raised a little bit of money for it. And I reached out to the fund that gave them some money and was like, what is the status of this project before like, I bought the domain name they had, DebraHillDoc.com, which they used to have. And I was like, they let it go, buying the domain name, taking all the social <laughs> handles for this. And it just went flat. And it seems like they just didn't raise enough money and the, the steam wasn't there. And so... There was no documentary, but they were going to be the first to do a, a a project on her. I mean, she's synonymous with a lot of John Carpenter's work, obviously. I mean, literally Crow Row, like most of those major movies that people know him for. Um, yeah, and like you said, her own production company and everything that she did behind the scenes. So I, again, we are here. <laughs> we're ready for it. And we are, honestly, it's going to happen. I hope so. Manifesting. You know, it's like, hey, if uh, we can get Jamie Lee Curtis on board for any of this, because she was really good friends with Deborah Hill, uh, to the point what I was told is that when Deborah Hill was dying in the hospital, that Jamie Lee Curtis was there visiting her quite regularly and really deeply cared about her. So, you know, get her on board. Oh. Right. <laughs> I'm going to start adding her on Twitter like every every day. <laughs> Anything's possible. <laughs> like if you care about your friend. I get that Blumhouse is now doing the Halloween movies, but you know. Mm, that's another thing. But yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> another, that's a whole other topic. I'm just saying. Right. I started on Blumhouse. But, I, I, but honestly, Halloween Kills is going to be like my Infinity War this year. It's going to be like my 
uh, like my end game, but you know, whatever big superhero thing that people get excited about, my avatar, whatever's the higher gross, my those, avatar. High, <laughs> those high grossing movies that people flock to the theater for, that's going to be Halloween kills for me this year. <laughs> and Candyman, listen. Okay, we could talk about, yeah, I mean, the, the Candyman thing, I have been waiting. <laughs> Anxiously. It better be a good movie. That's all I got to say. I'm so hyped up that like, I'm probably gonna have to watch it a few times because I know I'm gonna go into that theater and whatever happens the first time around, I'm gonna be like, great, beautiful, brilliant, amazing, stunning, acting, directing, gorge, cinematography. And then I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it again and be a little bit more critical. But I'm, I have like all the faith in the world that that's gonna fucking just send me to the moon. I can't wait. I know, me too. I even watched like uh, two weekends ago, I think it was, I rewatched Candyman 2 and 3 and Candyman 3 is a terrible, terrible movie. But there are worse movies than Candyman 3. Um, <laughs> I will say that. Um, but Candyman 2, fine. fine. It's okay. Yeah, that was fine. I've never seen Candyman 3, so you are... You don't need <laughs> to see the Candyman 3. I'll save you. <laughs> Not missing anything there. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love... I mean, I wouldn't say love. I do enjoy the sequel. Uh, but yeah, the first Candyman is just... It hits. It hits different. So I'm ready for this remake. Um... But yeah, so today we are recording on Mother's Day, uh, so this is going to be a little bit delayed, but you know, might as well talk about moms and horror <laughs> since we're here. And also, it's like the 41st anniversary of the first Friday the 13th today as well. It was literally released oh, May today. of 1980. I mean, so, I mean, I guess we can just kick things off, obviously, with uh, Pamela Voorhees, uh, you know, the iconic uh, serial killer of the first film, uh, who I love. Betsy Palmer, of course, uh, was at the reins of that role. Probably has wants nothing to do with it at this point. But... <laughs> She's over it. Yeah, like post as soon as fucking the last day of filming, she just completely forgot about this movie. Um, but amazing, obsessed with her. Do we love her as a mom? <laughs> I-, I love her as a mother. I remember I had a conversation with my mom about about Mrs. Voorhees and if she would have done something similar. Like, did she agree with how she approached things? My mom was like, I think she's a great mother. Yeah, killing to uh, killing for her child, getting revenge. Like, I'm totally on board. And I was like, mom, so this means, like, would you have done, you're t- saying that you would kill for me? And she was like, well, if I thought that kids had killed you, yeah, I'd seek revenge on them. I was like, okay, now everything started, sort of started making sense. Your, your, uh, your decisions as a mom, you would kill for me, wow. Okay. Uh, I never asked my mom if she would kill for me. Um, I think I want to now. <laughs> like, would you kill for me? And the crazy thing, of course, with Pamela is like, it wasn't even like the people who, you know, probably had a direct hand in. Well, she came back the next year, obviously, and killed the counselors the very next year. But I don't, I, did she kill the original people who probably did no. cause Jason to die? No, she not at all. <laughs> no, which that doesn't make any sense. Why would you just kill these, these brand new, I guess it's, you know, uh, they are, they're metaphors for things. Like, I am just going to kill them to just, you know, this, uh, yeah. all counselors <laughs> are, are bad. There you go. Yeah, pretty much. She has a stigma for counselors now. She hates them. They're all disgusting individuals who just like to run around and smoke pot and have sex and let kids drown in the water. She had her own version of ACAP. It's all counselors are best. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Very much that. But she, I mean, she did what she needed to do with that movie. It sucks because I feel like most people kind of forget, obviously, that she was like the first original killer because Jason's such a mainstay in horror. But yeah, she set the bar. She set the pace. She was over here. She had an amazing death scene getting her head chopped off like that. Yeah. 
I mean, she's she's the moment and we love her. And she showed those kids who was boss. And she, I don't understand how that like small woman was running around doing everything that she did, pushing people and like hanging people up on doorways. And she's also like an archery master, apparently. She's shooting arrows like point blank where she wants to hit. It's a mother's love, you know, that <laughs> adrenaline running, like it's- uh... Anything's possible. <laughs> For Jason. <laughs> right. Yeah, we've heard, you know, those are stories of moms sometimes like moving cars or whatever when their kids are in danger. So it's the brain. It's the brain. Like, you know, if we were operating at our full brain capacity, we'd probably be, we'd all be like superheroes. We'd probably be hitting camp counselors over the head and picking them up and throwing them, all of us, you know. Yes. Um, I want to talk about Amelia from Babadook. Because... <laughs> That woman is the epitome of a strong mom. She is a saint because I would have strangled that little blonde child if she acted anything like that little <laughs> bastard in that movie. I don't care if you're being haunted by the Babadook. Like, we're, it's on site. <laughs> <laughs> she did everything that she could, though, right? She had right. to be, But yeah, that kid, I mean, listen, kids in general, moms in general are strong as all hell because, I mean... I cannot stand children <laughs> sometimes because <laughs> they're just a lot to deal with. And especially like in that movie specifically, that little boy is not it, not it for me. He's too much. He is way too much. I would have given him over to my mom. That would have been uh, a whole thing. Be like, here, you can, you can take this child. And once it's like 15, 16, maybe then I'll come back into his life. So yeah, I give her a lot of credit for sticking around and having the patience for that because... The scene where he's screaming in the backseat, we're both going into the lake. You know what? <laughs> we're, this car is going straight into the nearest body of water. Oh, my goodness. Honestly, uh, her struggle kind of reminds me. I mean, they're kind of really opposite. And I did not even think about her at all. But um, Naomi Watts' character in The Ring. Hold on. I forget what her name is. But, I mean, like her son in that movie, he's different. Like, he's very, I don't know. He's, like, very serious about everything. And he, like, he has, like, a weird sense of, like, he can kind of sense like the future or whatever the hell's going on with that kid. But he's also like rude. He calls her by her first name. He calls her Rachel the entire movie. Uh, and if I, if my son was like calling me by my first name constantly, I'm like, like we're setting some boundaries. It's not, I, you can see the future. I get it. You can see little Samara coming through the TV before all of us, but like, you're going to treat me with some respect because he was just like, so just matter of fact, he was such a little adult, kind of like the kid in signs. Also, there's no mothers in those movies, but he reminds me of that. <laughs> she's, I mean, she's in the movie, but she's dying slowly the entire movie. But, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, kids are just, I can't deal with them sometimes. So moms, you know, you got it going on. I do think it's interesting, though, how it seems like most of the moms in horror are single parents or there is like an absent father that you are. You don't really know exactly what happened to the father, but that they're raising the child on their own. And I've always wondered why, because most of these stories are being written by men, why they decide to make a single mother and child be the focus of the horror. My idea is like they see some type of like weakness without the man there. And so they think that the paranormal can just come in and prey on that. And <laughs> they just think that women without them are just going to struggle so hard and they're going to pray. <laughs> the ring. Yeah, she's a single mother in the ring. It's true. There really are so many, or there's always some type of like familial trauma happening around the moms in horror movies as well. Like there's always like 
there's always something happening like Annie in Hereditary as well like there's just so much trauma there and like they I mean it's a great movie but it's correct like they're putting these women into just like very like I said either they're going through it with their family or their single moms or it's just like what's like talking about generational trauma with Annie <laughs> Listen, that's one of my favorite movies, like, of all time. So she did what she had to do in that movie. Uh, she tried, at least. <laughs> she tried her best. <laughs> she tried to convince her family what was happening, and they just were not, they were not dealing with it at all in that movie. But she, of course, acted the house down. Tony Collette obsessed, obviously. So she did what needed to be done in that movie. She still deserved the Oscar, I say. We're not going to talk about the Oscar. Yeah, I was. <laughs> it's a whole other thing, too. Uh, we hate the Oscars. Um, do you have anybody, Jordan, that you really love in as a mom in horror? I mean, I, I mean, I, I love Mrs. Bates, Norman Bates's mom in Psycho. I mean, I, I love her in the a weird way. Um, I don't necessarily think that. I mean, besides. I think it was Psycho 2 where they try to explain and go back in the the backstory of her when she was not a very great mother, uh, very abusive. But in the first one, if I'm taking it on face value in my interpretation, like, I don't necessarily think that she is wholly the reason why her son is insane. And I feel (laughs) like she, she tried her best as well as a single parent raising this kid. Um, So, you know, I appreciate Mrs. Bates. Have you seen um, Bates Motel at all? The TV show? Yeah, I had seen a little bit. I wasn't a huge fan of the TV show, um, mainly because what is his face? The actor that plays Norman, I'm not, I was not feeling him as that character. You're no Anthony Perkins. Um, not anywhere close to that level of acting, but you know. Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't. I don't. It was weird. I couldn't. I tried. I started watching it because uh, Rihanna was an episode, and I was like, I guess I can finally give it a shot. <laughs> Rihanna wasn't an episode. Mm-hmm. It was. It was a later season, I believe, because I was like, you know, I don't really like want to watch that show. It just looked strange for me from the beginning. But I heard Rihanna was an episode. I was like, let me go back to the beginning and push my way through so I can see Rihanna <laughs> for all the probably like one scene. And like, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't vibe with that show. So I just. I don't even know if it's still on. I don't know what happened to them. It just wasn't one of my faves. But yeah, Norma Bates, lover, Mrs. Bates. Even though I guess we really don't see her in the first movie beyond her corpse. Her corpse. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you just hear her in his head. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have him parading around as her, which is, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, a whole other thing too. <laughs> right. <laughs> a whole other discussion. But yes, uh, obsessed with Psycho, obviously. And also Anthony Perkins is just so handsome. I had a crush on Anthony Perkins when I was a child. And uh, yeah, you know, so if that says anything about my personality type or the men that I like, yeah, that's a whole other thing too. I love him because he was a little fruity. (laughs) He was a little queer. Um, You know, if you go into the deep bowels of Hollywood history, (laughs) him and many others were shacking up with each other back in the day. So I am obsessed with Anthony Perkins, plus the acting phenomenal. I love the end of that movie. Just how creepy he looks at the very end of that film is amazing. So yeah, you know, a mother is a boy's best friend, as they say. Exactly. Can't relate. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was just gonna say too, like also like Rosemary's Baby, that that you know Mia Farrow in that I really loved, and that especially at the end of the movie too. And I don't think it's a spoiler because that movie's decades old at this point, you know. But the way that she reacts to her child at the end that she gave birth to, that it is like she accepts that this child has like cloved or uh, yeah the cloved feet like you know you get the idea that this is a monstrous child here and she's still willing to to take care of it and have the the love of uh, a mother's love to that that child i just find that that very uh different than other interpretations of when mothers give birth to horrific demonic beings especially when it's against their will which it normally is against their will when they have these children but uh but her reaction was very different than other. Yeah, it's great. I do. I enjoy Rosemary's Baby because, I mean, her reaction at the end of the film just kind of encapsulates. I can't even say that word properly. Encapsulates. <laughs> uh, it's Sunday. Her, yeah, it's a Sunday. Um, fuck, it's a Sunday. Um, but they, but just her journey throughout the entire film, because obviously she's going through so many horrific things to protect this baby. She doesn't know what it's going to be. She doesn't understand really what it's turning into. But there's so much. Uh, there's just so many obstacles that she's facing to try to keep it safe. So even when it's born and it's like whatever the hell it is, obviously this demon spawn, she still has like that that mother's instinct, I suppose you can say, to like want to take care of it because of what she went through to have it. Um, a horrific movie. I love that movie though. The first time I watched that film, I was probably like 16, 15 or 16, I believe. And like we just, me and my cousin threw it on just for shits and giggles. And I remember like when it ended, I was like, I'm uncomfortable like that was like such a, it was a terror. It was like a very, I mean, it's like a statement ending, I guess you can say like it stuck with me and I love that movie tremendously could care less for, uh, for Roman Polanski, but love that. movie. (laughs) I do love that movie. Apparently he was awful to her on set as well, but you know, but I, I love her haircut. I actually, when I was in my short haircut phase, I did was say, I want my haircut like this and showed a still from Rosemary's Baby to the hairdresser. I'm sure that she was real, you know, happy to see that. Yeah, make me look like this. Yeah. <laughs> so. It was probably a picture of her like screaming in like terror. <laughs> like this. Yeah, like this, please. I want the same reaction when you cut my hair. I yes. need it. <laughs> um, Another mom and whore that I have always been obsessed with, just because I love Maury, uh, Laurie Metcalf, uh, is Mrs. Loomis or Debbie Saw in Scream 2. Uh, obviously, I'm a Scream whore. Uh, I love that franchise. Um, so she's one of my favorites in that movie just because she's so over the top. Um, I love her performance just being anybody, obviously, anybody who interacts with Gail. Uh, she like was such a instrumental part of my personality, um, which is why I went into broadcast journalism in college was because of Gail Weathers. Um, so anytime there was any type of interaction with her, obviously in Scream 3 as well, her and uh, Jennifer, uh, they're just the best parts of that movie. So I loved her interactions with Debbie Saw in this movie. And then when she turns out to be this crazy revenge-seeking mother for Sydney killing her precious child in the first film, it's just amazing. And that ridiculous fight in the theater is so over the top. And like, I don't like just shoot her or stab her. Like you're letting these like ridiculous <laughs> set pieces like hit you. Just, what are you doing? Just pop a cap in Sydney and move on. But she didn't do it. And then obviously oh, we don't want Sydney to die. But I love that entire climax of that movie because of Lori's performance. She's hilarious. She's <laughs> Hilariously hilarious. deranged. And I love that you went into broadcast journalism because of Gail. I hope you told people that in your department that the reason that I got into this 
was because of Scream. Because <laughs> of Courtney Cox in Scream. No, nobody gave a flying shit when I was in there. I was just like, I'm just here for vibes. Um, I would try to explain it to people, but they just there was not a lot of people who were just like super into horror uh, back where I was also. Super small town. I mean, our college, the college I went to was also in my hometown. It's like one of the most uh, like affordable schools in the country, I believe. Like their tuition is like, like it's so low so when I talk to people about it they just they wouldn't care at all <laughs> I was like you know she's my inspiration and they're like whatever and I was like okay great thanks I just imagine you pulling up a picture of Courtney Cox with the super fucked up bangs and you're like I'm gonna be her that's what I'm here for first day of school <laughs> <laughs> I do find it funny though still to this day because I guess so many people I surround myself with professionally don't like horror or don't watch horror is I am routinely spoiling Scream and I thought at this point that everybody knew that in the first Scream there were two serial killers and I have people to this day who are like oh my god what wait did you just ruin Scream I was like you weren't even born when that movie came out but like it's been that it's it's an old movie how am I still ruining this plot for you one of the most like well-known pictures is literally Billy and Stu like covered in blood yeah like, like was so on each other's necks. cycle like, right <laughs> <laughs> that is so crazy if Imagine never watching Scream. I mean, I guess I can't do that because when, <laughs> when I met my boyfriend, he didn't know anything about horror at all. He was, it, which is so strange with people with horror. I don't know why it's just like such, there's just so much negative perception to the genre. Like when I first met him, like immediately he was like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm obsessed with horror movies. And he was like, horror movies? He's like, people just, and they do, obviously the tropes are so heavy handed. He's like, people just act stupid. They make dumb decisions. People are falling over. He's like, it just seems so silly. And I was like, but it's it's not. So the first movie I remember I made him watch was It, uh, the remake, the 2017 remake. For whatever reason, we, I think it was honestly, to honest to God, uh, we had like our first fight. It was like maybe a couple months in. We had like our first altercation. So I was just so upset. So he's like, he put on a horror movie. He's like, you know, hey, I'm going to watch this horror movie with you. It was it. And like, he was like flabbergasted by the movie. He was taken aback at how like amazing it was. And he's like, he's a well, he's like, I've never really like seen a horror movie like put together like this, acted, you know, well acted like this. He's like, strange. And I was like, girl. And <laughs> so that just opened the floodgates for everything. I show, I've showed him everything I can just to kind of see. And now he appreciates it because people just randomly just think horror is stupid for whatever reason. But I'm tired. I'm tired of that stigma, to be honest. Definitely the same. I mean, I will admit, like, you know, that a lot of the horror movies that I do love, whether or not they have mothers or not in it, are are ridiculous. Like, part of the reason I love it is how ridiculous it is and how overacted it is. Or, But when you can tell that the people genuinely enjoyed working on the movie and you can you get that vibe from them and that's what makes it enjoyable and having to explain to people that it's not necessarily like it doesn't have to be well produced you know and everything doesn't have to be perfect you know but there's other reasons to to love these movies and yeah they might make stupid decisions in there and i tell people as well that's it's a plot point. None of these things would be happening if these people weren't being stupid. Like that's the joy in the film is that they're making these silly decisions and it leads, you know, to X, Y, Z happening. Uh, so that's the beauty in it. And I mean, our namesake obviously is slasher. That's like my favorite subgenre of film is a slasher film. And those are the ones that I think really, I mean, cause obviously with just the huge boom in those films in the eighties, like that's kind of what people see as horror is those tropes that happen 
frequently within slasher films, which are very stupid, very silly. It is the stupid people <laughs> that uh, frequent slasher movies. So that's what we tell, well, at least when I have conversations with people, I was like, you know, obviously horror can be so much more. Obviously it can, it can be serious. It can tell a, ser a serious story and it could be a beautiful piece of work. As a, but then there's these B movies that bring a different type of joy, like, you know, have a shot, uh, smoke a joint and just watch these funny, stupid movies where people do fall over and they do trip and they do make stupid decisions and they do randomly have sex when your, your friends are being murdered off one by one. Like, let's just hop into the sack. They don't care. They're stupid. And it just makes it such a fun ride. But people just don't, they can't grasp that for whatever reason. I don't understand. What I tell people too is you might think that they're making stupid decisions and you know objectively they are but how do you know that if you were in that situation that you you can say that you would do all these smart things but quite honestly I think that most of you you all would have been dead a long time ago in these movies. Even somebody like me, I'm calculating constantly like I anytime I go anywhere or uh any type of situation I'm in, I'm like, okay, well, if somebody, if somebody tries to come in and murder us right now, or if, you know, if something happens that turns into a horror scenario, what are my out, like, what are my escapes? Like, what, what do I do? Where do I go? Who do I protect? Like, my mind is constantly doing that. And even then I tell people, I would probably die. Like, I'm constantly, like, figuring out what I can do to survive. And I probably would still die in a horror movie. Because, I mean, I'm going to fall. I'm probably going to fall. I'm probably going to be making these stupid decisions. I'm going to turn left and people are going to be screaming at me for not turning right. Like, that's just how it is. Um, and I'm, I would probably die in a horror movie. I mean, I don't know. Would you guys live in a horror movie? I know I would die. I have no upper body strength, so I probably would have, I would probably die. I've got a weak ankle, girl. It's broken. It's snapped. I'm the first one that dies. <laughs> I would like to make, I feel like I can maybe make it to a sequel. I feel like I would, it would probably be something stupid like Brandy and I still know what you did last summer where she like crashes, <laughs> where she like crashes through like a roof or something crazy and then she's gone for like 30 minutes and then just walks at the end and she's like, hey, oh my God, <laughs> we made it bitches. Ah. That would be me. Like I would fall or I would like, I would get like stupid. I would be stupid lucky in the first movie. But the second time around, I'm Randy. I'm getting yanked into a van and getting murdered for just being annoying. So that would be me. That would be my journey in a film. I already know it. I know I would be able to make it out just by like the killer probably thinking I'm dead would be what I would I would play dead I think I think that's the best bet for me to survive is just to play dead I feel like the killer probably wouldn't even be after me like I wouldn't be the target but I would still like <laughs> break my ankle and I would just be good of convenient kill I can see Stormy honest to god I can see Stormy like if we were like um like in a scenario where we're all just standing there and the killer like is like charging at us and like we all just kind of break I don't know why I could see Stormy just like throwing herself at the killer to try to like stop him to save everybody else and that, and that being her demise I can see you doing that Stormy just <laughs> thanks for making me heroic at least <laughs> thank you thanks for being the martyr I honestly think it would I would like lunge at him but it would only be because like you went that way and everybody else went this way and I wouldn't know which way to go and I just go forward <laughs> your bum ankle would just twist and you just <laughs> fall on him and it would just that would be it right <laughs> but again it's the mom in you that wants to protect everybody I just you know you know I love it <laughs> Um, I guess another mom in horror, though, uh, to kind of get back on our semi-topic. Obviously, Wendy Torrance in The Shining. I mean, there's so much discourse with her performance in that film for whatever reason, um, which I don't understand. But I think she's phenomenal in that movie. Um, I just think, uh, I don't know, it's fantastic. And I love her in that film. And I go back to that movie. 
I will admit though, the first time I watched it, I thought she was a little over the top, uh, but um, it, like truly, but then like on rewatch- her eyes. She has very expressive and like the buggy, I mean, and I love her and I think she's from Texas actually too. So I love that actress, but uh, <laughs> it is a little much sometimes. It is a little much, but, and what I tell people, I was like, listen, I was like, she did not go through all of that torture on the set of that film and just be broken down mentally to not have that performance be put on screen. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, like, that is what Stanley Kubrick was aiming to do with that character for whatever reason. Because if he was if he was trying to break um, Shelley Duvall down that much to where that's what he wanted for him, because Kubrick's not going to put anything on screen that he doesn't think is what the film is meant to display initially so so i was like so her frantic behavior and the way that she comes off is what he wanted like he wanted her to be that mentally drained for whatever reason for the sake of the film although in the book she's not that at all she's a little bit more level-headed um she's a little bit more put together jack in the book as well is not they they had him crazy from the jump in that movie but i thought she's fantastic uh on rewatches it just gets better for me and i think she's great i really do just enjoy shelly duvall as an individual so actually she was tortured so bad on that set that just nowadays she's not doing that great <laughs> and she really gave her all and i applaud her for that <laughs> Yeah, because there's that great story. I forgot who released that article where they caught up with her recently as well. And, you know, she's doing her thing, you know, living off in some like rural little town. But really, she's just in some t- small town, not acting, just living her life there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the locals know her. Uh, if I can find I'm going to find the article, Jordan, and I will send it to you just so you can read I it. I want to go. Let's all just go to that small <laughs> town and say, hey, Shelly Duvall. <laughs> just knock on her door. <laughs> hey oh my god you don't know me but uh we're here i don't know honestly i don't remember if they disclosed the, their location they the probably didn't <laughs> i hope not <laughs> but through ip addresses we can find uh, the individual who wrote the story and we can figure it out we'll figure out their locations we'll figure out where they were at that time of the interview we'll find shelly duvall <laughs> just turn into hackers for shelly duvall <laughs> right 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 very much that um yeah love her another mom that was crazy though was margaret white and carrie who terrified me as a child for i think it was the religious aspect of her character um, and just that forced religion because i think i mean growing up catholic i experienced that firsthand i feel like it just speaks to us in a different way (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because i don't practice anything at this point in my life uh but growing up it was very much I don't know. Just what they did with her character was fantastic because the the horror in her kind of comes from that. You know, she's very aggressive, very abusive towards Carrie, uh, but it is that religious aspect of it that really kind of set me off in terms of like what she was projecting onto that poor child. Um, But fantastic performance as well. Obviously obsessed with what she was able to do in that movie because she was terrifying. Um, That was uh, Piper Laurie who played her. And even in the remake, which I don't like, at all um but julianne moore plays her in that film as well and julianne moore i'm always a fan of uh just because i love julianne moore in everything uh so she does great in that film but margaret white as a character is utterly insane awful mom if we're talking about bad moms of horror (laughs) but another single mother you know yes for whatever reason they're always single yeah i'm not quite certain but yeah another single mom trying to to raise her daughter in the world but you're right i've never like kind of made that distinction in terms of like mothers and films they're always single or always going through something you know 
yeah and talking about like generational horror too or that generational trauma that like carrie there's the allusions to the fact that it was her father that had that ability to telekinesis that was passed down and that like rejection of her father and the rejection of men and telekinesis that tie and all of all of that men equal bad like camp counselors equal bad men equal bad in that household um, <laughs> you know uh, right. but i can totally uh relate to having a, a a single mother too that tells you horror stories about men where it's men equal bad so carrie totally understands that aspect on the same page (laughs) (laughs) wow sync we're bonding because of our single moms love that (laughs) trauma bonding and our hate towards men oh wow (laughs) i love it this is why we love horror right Right. (laughs) it's true girl omg yes that's really it it really is uh it's strangely like the darkness of horror is like a strange comfort um, because these characters, I mean, we can poke fun at it now, but like the single mom aspect of these characters and like the trauma that they go through is very relatable, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and horror does it often because it's a horrific situation, I guess, to be in as they're trying to display to us. It, you know, can't be happy <laughs> in those scenarios, apparently. But it's relatable to us. So we just we find comfort in that shit. I was just going to say one mom that like isn't single and traumatic. I mean, she has her own trauma, but Adelaide Wilson from us. <laughs> Yeah, Lupita Nyong'o is iconic. Uh, the most badass mom. <laughs> I just, I aspire to be half the woman that she is. Um, I mean, and not the bad half, not the shadow. <laughs> but, you know. Which is crazy to think about because she's a great mom, even though she was like, I mean, the twist of the movie. I mean, I hope people have seen that movie at this point. Um, but like the twist of the movie there is obviously like she came from that's the tethered version is the actual mom that we get to know in that movie so even then she can be a badass mom which is really cool and again lupita just kills that role so hey sydney sydney's mom in scream or the lack thereof and the whole thing with that you know that's a whole that's a whole thing too until the third movie where they have her randomly walking around in like a body bag and like acting all ghoulish and creepy and ghosty for whatever reason Uh, listen, I do, but I do love Scream 3. Don't even get me started. I love Scream 3. It is so silly, over the top. Um, the house did not need to explode, but they added an explosion <laughs> for whatever reason in those movies. And, you know, it works. It works for whatever reason. But yeah, the trauma, obviously, with Sydney and her character comes from her mom and whatever the hell her mom was doing, sleeping around town, um, you know, just acting foolish, I suppose, is what Billy tries to convince Sydney of. But I guess we never really understand, I guess, who she was as a person. There's just so, but there's a lot of negative stigma around her and who she was. And, you know, whatever she did caused Billy to be crazy and caused Sydney's brother to be crazy. And um i think she got an unjust rap in those films because we really don't even know we don't know anything about her we just we hear that she was having an affair and like that's that set the pace for everything that she had an affair and now sydney's fucking 20 years in the game of being traumatized by these serial killers who won't leave her alone because her mom just had one affair and we don't even know if she did we don't even know for (laughs) sure rumors (laughs) (laughs) rumors <laughs> <laughs> we don't know we really don't know these things and they just force it upon well i guess in the third film they get into her backstory and just how she was trying to sleep her way into hollywood or whatever but <sighs> we can just talk about how awful those men were instead of just focusing on what she did wrong in that scenario I'd love her either way <laughs> <laughs> she produces great child so um 
I, one other mom, obviously, you mentioned Jamie Lee earlier. Uh, we get her, we get a little bit of Jamie Lee being a mother as Lori in both H2O and, of course, the 2018 film. Uh, both a little bit different. Uh, she still brings her trauma to both films, of course. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, she does what she needs to do, obviously. She's great. She prepares her children as best as she can. Um, I just love Jamie Lee Curtis. So, whatever. Lori Stewart's a great mom. I don't give a I don't give a damn if her child was traumatized, in the, especially in the 2018 film, especially in that film. Uh, it's already, it's gone down two generations at that point. But she prepared them because they were able to survive a night of, well, we don't know yet. We haven't seen Halloween Kills. Um, but they were, for, they were able to survive the first part of a very horrific night um, because of what she was able to do and prepare them for mentally. So. so one thing about that, so in H2O, that like the child she had or children because she had was um what's his face i can't even think of his name now josh hartner yeah josh hartner was her son in h2o correct correct what happens to that child then in the 28 like i was very confused i was like how does she have a daughter i thought she had a son in here why is this not consistent like josh hartnett still acts too like, <laughs> yes <laughs> it's still available so <laughs> The Halloween franchise is so messy. Like there are so many inconsistent. <laughs> yeah, there's like multiple timelines. So um, I'm the one to break it down. Uh, so uh, there's so many different timelines. So there's the original film, which in any and all, obviously, uh, canons of reality with these films, they all start with the first film. Uh, so there's like uh, there's so many different things you can look at. So you can look at the first film, the second film, the fourth fifth and sixth film as being one story and that's the story where uh and she also has a child and that's in that story as well because daniel harris is her child in fourth or the fourth and fifth film and then she dies off very early in the sixth film um but there's that whole thing there where that where michael was like part of a cult and it was his birthright to kill his family it's crazy it's awful i hate the fifth and sixth film well to be fair i have not seen the sixth film although i love paul rudd uh, to the ends of the earth. I haven't seen that movie, uh, but I hate the fifth one, so I just never bothered. Um, but there's that storyline. And then there's H2O, which ignores five, six, or four, five, and six. And so it's just one, two, and H2O. And Resurrection builds off of that as well, which was awful because that's where they kill Laurie Strode off in that series. So that's another aspect of that franchise's timeline. And then there's a new one that they just started, which is only the first film and only 2018. But in each iteration, they make her a mom. Lori always ends up being a mom. So why? What what is the importance? So like Michael Myers has more people to kill that are related to him? Or another reason. Yeah, I'm very confused about I never saw that character either, like watching the you know first movie, especially as an adult, I just for some reason never saw that character as be, even though she was a babysitter I just never saw her as being like um, a mother like I didn't think that was I I thought more of like career maybe would and she would be like screw having children because Michael Myers and all of this I would much rather just be single um so that is something that was weird like you said with filmmakers and film in general they always put like a motherly aspect to female characters for whatever reason they just do that they just force that role onto them um we just finished up we just wrapped up our aliens month and sigourney weaver's character in the first alien is so independent and she's so uh just she goes by the book she's very serious about what she does but then in the second film aliens which i do love uh obviously they add in a young child in that film and they kind of make her then feel more you know she kind of has like that matriarch the motherly bond with that child like right off the bat and the faculty of horror who i 
am absolutely obsessed with. They did, like, they're crazy intelligent, but they did like a deep dive into those films. And like, they even like mentioned the fact, like how they took this character in the first movie, you know, fighting for what she believed was right, was arguing with the crew members, being logical about everything. And then the second film, they immediately throw her into this motherly role. Like, it's just like, it's always quick to just like, they're always quick to do that with female characters. Even if they're like strong and independent, they immediately then put them into this weird having to have that motherly instinct and having to care for children and like having to want to have children. Like it's just so one note with these characters. Um, and like you said, with Lori, they always find a way to make her a mom in the situation as well. And there's like, nope, it just, it just so makes it up a little bit, people. Yeah. <laughs> just mix it up. Just mix it up. <laughs> accidents happen you know <laughs> mine just walked in five minutes ago so <laughs> that was not in the original plot of the movie so <laughs> you know <laughs> there's a I little bit I... of truth to it <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay you're right um i don't luckily for me you know I, accidents won't happen with me so <laughs> You're lucky bastard. I know. I know. God, God, damn <laughs> God damn it. But I guess you're right. But like, but character wise, just don't do that. To right. Me. Don't always put them in that box. <laughs> we don't but, always have to follow that. But it is Mother's Day. So we still enjoy mothers. Uh, if you do have that motherly instinct, it's okay. It doesn't make you lesser than. <laughs> just in terms of film, we just want to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> uh, Jordan, though, before we let you go, I'm kind of curious then, because you're kind of like giving us little teases of like the kind of horror that you're into. So like, what is like your favorite like horror movie then or like a franchise that you really enjoy? Uh, I will say a director that I really, really enjoy. I love Stuart Gordon uh, a, a lot. And uh, we shared the same birthday, August 11th. And he, you know, he's deceased. Um, he died recently. And I've been trying to plan something for August 11th of this year to do get together. So I also love Jeffrey Combs, which was a reanimator with Stuart Gordon and yes. a bunch of other movies with him. And uh, it's that that genre of, uh, of movies where it's schlocky, um, doesn't necessarily have to be based on an HP Lovecraft thing, but obviously with Pod of Madness, that is a harken back to HP Lovecraft which I have problems with much like many other people have problems with, with him as well. But yeah, Stuart Gordon, I think is, uh, is fantastic. I love that. So yeah, the HP, uh, the HP Lovecraft brand of horror, like the otherworldly type of. Yeah. The exploring the other. And, you know, and I, and I see that from various perspectives. Like when I first read HP Lovecraft, I saw the other as being, you know, a, a woman like from a woman's perspective as the other and and I think that that is what has kept me with that that genre is that exploration of the other and how you're viewed by society and you know you know I'm from a small town too and so yeah, all of that sure. <laughs> all of thatness you know I was it was very relatable and uh and Absolutely. I do I do like myself some gore and uh and I see that as an art form very much so like some good good gore is nice where I'm like damn how did they do that good job guys like <laughs> you know American werewolf in London obviously is like the best werewolf transformation scene of all time ever I'm obsessed with that movie I and that movie <laughs> We could be here for we could be here forever, um, but just like even like the campy nature to that film always resonate with me as well. Like it's very tongue in cheek with what it's presenting as well, but also like being again a great fucking werewolf movie. 
Obsessed, obsessed, yeah. Oh, I do. I love practical effects. I love when the gore is practical. Um, that's why even with Midsummer, with like the small little like gory scenes that they had in there, they were practical. So I I was obsessed with them. I love them. I hate CGI gore. I'm not like the biggest fan of it. Um, I can understand maybe why a lot of films would do it. I that's I hated that about Scream 4 because even the knife is like CGI a lot in that movie and it just looks stupid and i mean most people probably won't notice it but like just like i don't know get a retractable knife i, don't I was care. gonna say it's cheap right the retractable <laughs> right. knives are so cheap in the squibs like just <laughs> like do something like why is this why do you have to have a cgi knife like there's just no point of it there's just no point in it but for cgi blood like oh <laughs> i don't know do whatever you can just like i love practicality in film so yes that's when i enjoy gore is when it's practical um if it's Beyond that, it just kind of seems silly to me and needless at that point. But, you know, that's my own personal <laughs> opinion on that for sure. Um, I mean, since we were talking about Halloween, I mean, I think Michael Myers' mom, we could make a mention of as well. I mean, especially like, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, but obviously Michael Myers' mom, Mrs. Myers is a lot more present in those movies. I don't necessarily think it's a good representation Um at all or i mean it's very it's very much a stereotype i'm like oh the trailer park mom's a stripper mm, good right. job that's you're right. painting this out good job guys <laughs> thanks rob zombie and your wife has to be in this movie too. absolutely <laughs> sherry has to be in those movies no matter what we just did um a discussion on uh House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects uh, on YouTube with uh, Bobby Torres. And we discussed that obviously with Rob Zombie's film. I'm not a fan at all of his films. Uh, Stormy, of course, grew up with them. So they kind of have like a nostalgic feel to her. But when I grew up, I remember I the first movie I had seen of him was the two Halloween remakes, obviously. Like that was my introduction to Rob Zombie films and I hated it. Um, but going back and watching House of a Thousand Corpses, which strangely is something that I've, love like for whatever reason i'm obsessed with that film uh, i think that's like a, the best one that i've seen that rob zombie has done and like with rain wilson i was just like yeah, i've rewatched it too as an adult and i'm like it's actually really funny and like this is this is pretty good writing it is i feel like it's most i think it's most true to what he would like to present as a film because i definitely feel like as he kind of continues through his films uh stormy mentioned it as well when we discussed it but like how he kind of adds stuff in there to just be shocking and to like try to like make it uncomfortable know. yeah like that's his brand is trying to do but like the first house of a thousand his first his directorial debut was like it just felt more fun and i felt like he was putting more of himself into it and not trying too hard to make anything like crazy or like shocking. It just, it just felt very natural. So I think I really enjoyed that film. I unfortunately haven't, I've stayed away from his filmography. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they definitely brought in uh, Michael's mother and I hated that aspect about those films. I didn't need to see like his, his upbringing. I think what they did phenomenally in the first film is just kind of, he was kind of from a normal household and he was just evil. Like there was no influence to why he did what he did. But Rob Zombie, of course, had to make us see why he was doing what he did. So but he had to be abused because of course, like there's no other way that he could just be psychotic. He had to have been abused by his family. And I liked in the, the original Halloween movie, I did like the idea that he just came from like what I imagined to be an upper middle class background, traditional suburban white background, and that this kid could just churn on his own family. And that fear of like, I could have just a normal family and this could still happen to you. Right. 
It definitely brings in the whole nature versus nurture conversation where you can, like you said, you normal, like white collar family could have a completely psychotic child and not one that has to be uh, fostered by trauma. (laughs) It's true. It's so true. Oh my God. Okay. Well, throwing it back as well, nature versus nurture is such a huge thing. I, I think it was in high school that we did like a discussion on this film, but the bad seed, which I believe is from the 60s. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's a great horror movie it really is but the little girl in that film again her family is like you said upper middle class white family she's a sweet little girl she's doing her thing she's great at like I don't know what she does now. she like plays an instrument or something it's been so long since I've seen that movie but everything seemingly seems perfect you know she has a very nice family very nice mom her mom's very nurturing in that film um, she's constantly checking on her but then like randomly oh my god if you guys if you've never seen the movie i don't want to spoil it too much but like they ran she goes on a field trip and then she comes back from the field trip and like the teacher or one of the parents tells her mom oh well a little kid died out there on this field trip they he was in like a boathouse or something and he got pushed into <laughs> in the water um and you know we did see your daughter leave the boathouse so you know i just maybe check if she's okay and like they're not expecting this sweet you know like like six or seven year old girl to be this murderous individual and she's coming from a seemingly you know proper whatever that term is proper you know normal family and she still turns into like this crazy individual who is trying to murder people so i think that's what they were aiming to do obviously with the first halloween um you know, you can be the best mom in the world. and that- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you could be the best family but yeah, in the world and your kid is still going to turn psycho. Like that fear, yeah. Another one of the reasons why I don't want to have a chill child. Yes, so I'm like, that, well, you know, yeah, you watch horror enough. You're like, oh my God, uh, children, they might kill me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I literally whenever say, why don't you want to have kids? I'm like, I don't know who that person's going to I don't know who that kid's going to be. I was like, I just don't. And I already feel like I'm off my rocker. So I don't want to bring anybody into that environment. I was like, but then I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But then I don't, I don't know who that person's going to be. Like, I don't, like, I have seen too many you know, fucking, I've researched too many serial killers to like just openly want to bring somebody into the world because it makes me nervous. It's probably my anxiety. Um, definitely need to look into therapy for all that. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's something deep within me where I can't, I can't. It's a gamble. You're, like, you're gambling <laughs> with a child. Um, so anybody who does it, I mean, power to you because I could never. We're hoping for the best. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> just stares at her door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I could never. Um, but yeah, Jordan, thank you so much, of course, for joining us today. You are a joy and a half. Um, I try. <laughs> and your podcast is phenomenal. And even if it's getting back into the works at this point, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, We're waiting. Because it's great. It really is great. And if you have any questions at any point about anything, you can always reach out to me and ask. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us. You're amazing. You're hilarious. and intelligent and fun and i want to be i'll I tell get. my mother i'll tell my mother that you said so so then she can take all the credit for it too you know they will too yes uh, you can tell her this random podcast host with orange hair says yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm winning mom <laughs> happy mother's day you have a joy for a child <laughs> he seems a little off but he he looks up to me so i'm doing great <laughs> 
<laughs> I promise he won't kill me. Yes, it's all good. It's all He's good. in Vegas. You don't have to worry about nothing. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thanks, y'all. I appreciate it. Of course. Yes. Where can people find you? I mean, I am on all the social media platforms at J, I would say J Gospore, but no one's going to know how to spell any of that. J G A S S P O R E. It looks like Gaspore. Yes. J Gaspore. Can't see it either. I'm doing a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forget that nobody can actually see me. I do that all the time. <laughs> Lots of hand gesticulations. It's all just going everywhere. Um, but yes, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. You are phenomenal, amazing. Uh, we're going to keep everybody in the loop with whatever projects you have going as well. Um, and uh, come back anytime. Sounds Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks, y'all. I appreciate it. And yeah, I will talk to y'all soon. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye.